This episode of Your Catholic Life is brought to you by Iowa Catholic Radio, connecting listeners with Christ. IowaCatholicRadio.com, and now broadcasting on the free Iowa Catholic Radio app. Welcome in, everyone, to Your Catholic Life, a podcast for Catholics by Catholics, helping you grow in your faith. I'm John Leonetti, your host. Apologetics. No, not saying you're sorry. The defense of the faith, something every Catholic engages in, even if they don't know it. Some do it well, answering questions thoroughly, succinctly, with that calm ease. And others, well, we need a little help. But never fear, here to help equip us with the tools to teach and defend our Catholic faith in the world today is widely known as one of the best Catholic apologists in America. He's the author of several books, including his newest, A Daily Defense, 365 Days Plus One to Becoming a Better Apologist, Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing just fine, ready to get after this today. Uh, Can God create a stone even he can't lift? No. (laughs) Why? Why? Well, uh, people often have the idea that because God is omnipotent, that he can do anything you can say. But uh, you can say all kinds of things that are just gibberish. Like, for example, Bob is a married bachelor. Okay, There's no such thing as a married bachelor. That's a, con- that's a logical contradiction. Hmm. Similarly, uh, Sparkles is a two-horned unicorn. Okay, well, if Sparkles is a unicorn, that means he has one horn, not two. Um, So once again, the idea of a two-horned unicorn, like a married bachelor or a four-sided square or any number of other things, involves a logical contradiction. And so even though you can say things like that, they're really just gibberish. They, they They don't correspond to anything that could exist in the real world. And so if you then consider, um, okay, so if God's omnipotent, that would mean he has infinite or unlimited lifting power, and therefore a stone too heavy for God to lift would be a stone so heavy that it can't be lifted even with unlimited lifting power. Hmm. And that's a contradiction in terms, just like a married bachelor, a two-horned unicorn, or a four-sided square. It's, it's, it involves a logical contradiction, and therefore it's just gibberish, not something that actually exists. And so theologians, for example, Thomas Aquinas, have pointed out that God's omnipotence doesn't mean he has the ability to do anything you can say, because you can say things that are nonsensical. It means he can do anything that is logically possible, anything that doesn't involve a contradiction like that. Are you a convert? Yes, uh-huh. When did you convert? 1992. And what what was it that drew, drew you to the Catholic faith? Reading the Bible. That was it? Uh, I'm sorry? That was it? Yeah. Um, I initially, when I became, I, I became a Christian, or became serious about it when I was 20, and I read the Bible, and I found these verses in it that just didn't sound Protestant. Hmm. And so I said, I'm going to put these on the shelf for a while and come back to them when I know more, because, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm a baby Christian right now. I don't know very much. And eventually, when I did come back to them, I had to conclude, yeah, they really do support the Catholic faith. And I ended up becoming Catholic as a result. And now you now you write, of course, and teach and um, on Catholic Answers Live uh, apologetics. Was, was apologetics kind of the route you were always drawn to? 
Certainly one of them, but I, you know, I have background in a, a number of different areas just because I'm curious about a lot of different things. Um, in addition to apologetics within the church world, I also have a background in uh, canon law and liturgical law and patristics and biblical languages, biblical study, philosophy. That's what my academic training is in. Mm. And then on my own, I just like read science and linguistics and history for fun. I, uh, I, I listen to you on Catholic Answers Live. You're always so calm. I mean, you keep it together. Was there, was there ever a time in your faith that you weren't so calm when you were doing apologetic work? Maybe you let your oh, emotions sure. get in the way? Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things that, um, that I think everybody goes through. Uh, some, I mean, everyone has a stage where they're really feeling their oats, and they, um, you know, they can let emotion get in the way of things. And one of the things I saw from that was that, you know, when you do that, when you let anger get in the way of stuff, it can be very easy to self-justify and say, well, I'm, I'm using tough love here. You know, people, it's, it's very easy for us as fallen human beings to say that to ourselves mm. and as a way of justifying it when we're acting like jerks. And the thing is, though, Mama's saying was right. You really do catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Sure. And so I have tried to separate myself from that. You know, I still have, you know, I'm, I, I'm a human being. I have emotions like everybody. But uh, I try to keep a positive and uh, calm and constructive attitude. And uh, I found that to be much more successful. What do you think the greatest argument against the existence of God is? The problem of evil. Hmm. Is that the one you hear most often? It's not the one I hear most often. I hear it over and over again in a lot of different guises. People will find some particular evil in the world and say, why would God allow this? And it's not always immediately apparent to them that that's what they're doing, that they're asking about the problem of evil. But it's it'll be there. It'll be like, well, I don't have this information. I would like it to be blindingly obvious that God exists. You know, why doesn't he make it blindingly obvious? And what they're that what they're talking about in that case is uh, a, the evil of not having as much knowledge as you would like, or ignorance, or to use a, a fancier Latin term for it, nescience. Hmm. And and so that's a subcase of the problem of evil. Why would God allow an evil like? me not having the knowledge that I would like, because that's frustrating and, and frustration is painful. Um, and that's really the only argument um, concerning the existence of God that, uh, that has a lot of punch on an emotional level. Um, and so it's, it's the single uh, biggest argument that you have to work on as an apologist uh, when you're trying to defend the Christian faith against atheism. Are you able That's to fully comprehend it? I mean, are you convinced by it, the, the answer the Church gives for the problem of evil or why God allows suffering? Well, the Church has a multi-form answer to this, and I cover this in the book. I also have a DVD out on it just called The Problem of Evil, hmm. where I go into it in more detail. But um, I, there is a real aspect of mystery to the problem of evil, and we don't do a service to the truth if we pretend that there's not. There, there, is a, there is mystery here. But we can see enough of the answer using human reason that it makes the mystery livable. And so 
I don't have to know everything as long as I do have evidence for the existence of God and that I can trust him. Um, I can, I may, I can see in some cases how God brings good out of evil. And that's the fundamental answer the church gives that God would not allow an evil if he weren't going to bring good out of it somehow. And in many cases, I can see how that happens. I mean, I have, for example, pain receptor nerves in my skin. So if I were to put my hand down on a hot stove, I'm going to yank my hand away really fast because those pain receptor nerves are going to give me pain, which is an evil. And that performs a good function in this case, so I don't burn my hand. Um, there are people who have a disorder called uh, neurolog- or congenital insensitivity to pain, and their neurology works such that they don't have a proper pain response, and they can burn themselves and cut themselves and sometimes wound themselves so seriously that they die because they're not having that pain response. So if I can see that in some cases I can easily prove pain does good stuff, um, and thus a form of evil can lead to good. Um, and if I have good evidence that God exists and that he's all good, then I can use that to have confidence for the cases where it's not obvious to me in this life how God is going to bring good out of a particular situation. I can be confident that he will, because I have the evidence that he's good, but I don't have to know what the specific good is in a particular case, in every particular case. Does that does that go for things like natural disasters? Because that's always kind of a stumbling block for me when people say, well, look, I know the evil of what the human person or the capabilities of what the human person can do. Uh, we've seen that, of course, throughout history. But what about things like natural disasters? Why do those things happen? Well, you want to look at page 265 of my book for that one. Okay. Um, the, the, uh, to give a short answer... Um, a lot of what we think about as natural disasters are really just the forces of nature. It's just energy moving matter around. If you think about like an earthquake, well, earthquakes happen because continental plates, you know, the Earth's core is heated, and that causes continental plates to drift, and then they grind into each other, and tension builds up, and periodically they suddenly slip, and that's what causes an earthquake or certain types of earthquakes. Um, But that's just really driven by, you know, the heat in the Earth's core melting rock and causing the plates to move around. Similarly, if you're talking about like a thunderstorm, you know, another kind of or a hurricane to up it to to disaster level, that's just the sun heating the Earth's atmosphere, moving energy around and causing, you know, the atmosphere to do certain things that produces a hurricane. And if you, so really natural disasters, if you think about their essence, it's just the forces of nature, the forces of physics moving energy around. Where it becomes a disaster for us is because of its impact on life. But even then, what hurts one form of life benefits another. So if, let's say, you know, there's a forest fire and it kills a fox. Well, all of the rabbits that that fox would have eaten now get to live. So even though it's a disaster from the fox's perspective, it's a benefit from the rabbit's perspective. Hmm. Or to use a very famous global example, the uh, asteroid that killed the dinosaurs paved the way for the rise of mammals and thus our own species. And so what was bad for the dinosaurs was good for us. And there's a, a saying 
um, that Pope John Paul II quoted once, the death of one serves the life of another. And so we can even in this see how even in natural disasters, even though harm may happen to some, it brings about good for others. This is fascinating. Uh, we're talking with Jimmy Aiken right now, friends. Uh, Catholic Answers apologist, senior apologist there, and he's got the new book, A Daily Defense, 365 Days Plus One to Becoming a Better Apologist. What's the plus one? Uh, the plus one is an extra day for leap year. The, uh, when the publisher approached me um, and said, could you, could you write a 365-day book? I said, no, I certainly couldn't. I need to give people an extra one for leap years. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so I have an extra one at the back of the book. And if you are uh, a strict nitpicker for using the once a day and only once a day format, yeah. then you'll have to wait till leap year to read it. Ah, but you if you're like if you're like me and you binge read, so you uh, read multiple pages in a sitting, then you can find out the answer anytime. Let's move to science for a second here because some some people claim science is enough. Uh, they say, you know, that, that that's all we can know the world through science. Why is, from a Catholic perspective, that not accurate? Well, there are a number of problems there. Um, science is a very useful tool for doing certain things, but it isn't, a, it isn't a Swiss Army knife of knowledge. You can't just do anything with science. There are various truths that are inaccessible to the scientific method. In the scientific method, what you do is you observe what's happening, and then you formulate a hypothesis to explain why it's happening, why you're getting the observational information you are. And then you try to perform a test to see if you can falsify uh, the hypothesis you've just uh, proposed. And if you can falsify it, you say, okay, well, scratch that one off. That's not the explanation. Um, but uh, if it survives the test, then it gains scientific credibility. And if it survives a lot of tests, it, a lot of attempts at falsifying it, then um, you ha can have a lot of confidence in something scientifically. You know, think of all the stones you've ever see fall, seen fall down, all the objects you've ever seen fall down. Well, we have a pretty good understanding these days of the theory of gravity as a result. Hmm. But... Let's turn this on science itself, because the key thing in science, if it's going to be scientific, you're going to need to perform an experiment <clears throat> in an attempt to falsify your hypothesis. So let's take the hypothesis that science can explain everything. What kind of experiment could we possibly <laughs> do that would falsify that? Yeah. And, it, you know, philosophers of science and scientists and philosophers have thought about that a lot. And there is just no way you can perform a lab experiment to show that science can't explain everything. There's no way to falsify that. And consequently, the belief that science is uh, able to explain everything is not a matter of science itself. It's an unscientific belief. It's an assumption that some people want to make, but it's not something that's scientifically proven at all. This is just why philosophy is so important. I mean, it, it's just, it's it's so important for us today. I mean, and, and the correlation the Church sees between philosophy and theology, I mean, the, the study of how to think with the, really how we think about God, how we understand God, it's, it's, it's essential. 
Indeed, yes. Uh, in fact, priests are required to have a substantial amount of philosophy training before they begin their theology training. Uh, if God knows everything, He knows what we need before we need it, Scripture says, why do we pray? Uh, because He wants us to. Uh, that's one of the things that's very clear in Scripture, is that God does want us to pray, and He uh, wants us to pray so much that He's chosen to reward our prayers, to incentivize them, by uh, offering us certain goods that we wouldn't otherwise receive if we didn't pray. The question then is, why does God want us to pray? I mean, we know He does, but why does He? Particularly if, as Jesus says, He knows what we need before we even ask. Right. Jesus indicates to us that we're not giving God any information. That's not what prayer is about. God's already on this, and He already knows everything, so we're not adding anything to God's knowledge. He already knows what we need. So let's think about what prayer does. Well, humans establish relationships by talking. I mean, that's one of the most fundamental things in any culture is the language that that culture uses. And humans are intensely social creatures, and the way we relate to each other is by using language primarily. And so it's only natural, it corresponds to human nature, in other words, for us to relate to God by using language. And prayer encourages us to do that. Uh, prayer helps build our relationship with God. It keeps us from just closing in on ourselves and thinking, I'm all sufficient, I don't need God. And so uh, by praying to Him, it draws us out of ourselves and makes us think about something other than just ourselves and just being selfish. It makes us think about God and being concerned about Him and what He wants. And so it fosters, in other words, the love of God. Also, since we're directed to pray for each other, even for our enemies, well, that also draws us out of ourselves and gets us thinking about other people and their good. So it also promotes love of neighbor. And love of God is the first great commandment, and love of neighbor is the second great commandment. So that tells us that what God ultimately wants from us is love. And prayer encourages us to love. It encourages us to love God and our fellow man. I love that answer. Uh, will you have a little fun with me for a second? I'm going to throw you some random questions, and I want you to—I do this on my podcast. I want you to uh, answer them with the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Well, we'll have fun. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Favorite book of the Old Testament? Genesis. You could only have one book besides the Bible on an island. Catechism of the Catholic Church. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Matthew. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Radio or TV? TV. Ooh, that surprised me on that one. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Uh, if it's diet, either one, I don't care. Fish or shrimp on Fridays? Fish. Red wine or white wine? White. Favorite saint? Uh, Virgin Mary. Higher place in heaven, Augustine or Monica? Well, I'll leave that one up to God. <laughs> okay, so where can people get this book? Because I want as many of my listeners to go out there and get this as possible. Yeah, uh, they can get it. It comes in either uh, paperback or electronic form. They can go to shop.catholic.com and get it there. 
or they can go to Amazon.com and get it there. And if they get the Kindle version, you know, they can download that instantly to get instant information gratification, which is always important. Uh, I myself am highly addicted to instant information gratification. So um, you can be reading it in mere seconds. And if, like me, you prefer to have it read to you, then you can have your Kindle read it to you. So you can listen to it as well as read it with your eyes. I like that as well. A Daily Defense, 365 days plus one to becoming a better apologist. Jimmy Aiken, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. So there you have it, friends. It's not that we can't get this stuff, and I mean this sincerely. It's that many of us have grown too tired or many of us too busy to really even stay in the conversation. And I, I think that's why books and resources like this are so important for us as Catholics, because it, it re-energizes us, it gets us back into that conversation, it trains our minds in a lot of ways, because we're getting hit with these questions over and over again in the world, and, and many of them are just repeated. It's kind of like the same play, run over and over again. Uh, and we we have the ability to be able to bring the truth of the Catholic faith and our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to many people out there. And it's not to say that we we can know all the answers, because no one does. We're human. But I think there's a lot of answers out there that the world's seeking to understand uh, that the Lord has put in our hearts, in our lives, and certainly given to our church to be able to communicate. So thanks so much to Jimmy Aiken, my guest today. Friends, make sure to share this and other episodes of Your Catholic Life on Facebook and Twitter, inviting your friends to take part in the show. Visit our website at yourcatholiclifepodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm John Linetti signing off here on Your Catholic Life. Remember, the only way to happiness is by holiness. Be confident in Christ's mercy and his love today.